We Saw a Thing is a movie podcast about remakes and sequels. We, we saw a thing and talked about it. Pride and Prejudice. The following conversation has been edited for brevity. Well, it feels like we haven't done this in a really long time. I feel like we've got lots to catch up on. Well, it, it's been like three weeks. It's actually been a month. I looked at when I did the notes for War of the Worlds, and it was uh, September 7th. So it's actually been a month. Wow. Okay. So, I mean, maybe taking a month off is the reason I could not get the 1940 version of this film started in my brain. It was hard to get going. Yeah, it really was hard to get going on these ones, which is so weird now having watched both of them because I don't know about you, but I loved these movies. Yeah, I really enjoyed them too. I, I, I've I, got to say again, I like the 1940s film, I think more than the 2005 film, but the 2005 film gave more interesting backstories because at the, be- the end of the 1940s version, I'm like, well, it's nice that they got together. I like this movie. They're going to be miserable together. Like, there's no way they're going to be happy together. But then we watched the 2005 version, and there's a there's a very amazing speech by Kira Knightley that explains that there's so much the same because they're stubborn and this and that. And then we get kind of a really nice moment with them alone, presumably after she's become a Darcy. And I'm like... They might be okay. They might be just fine. I really liked how much extra time they spent on the ending of the story in the Kira Knightley version. I thought that that was a stroke of brilliance. I wrote down in my notes, I'm like, oh, they changed the ending. Okay, this is going to be interesting. But it was so much more patient. And because of everything that led up to it, I felt like that ending was called for. And it started making me feel like the 40s version was... It was almost as if they set up cameras and filmed a stage play uh, because the ending felt very, very rushed in the 40s version by comparison. You say that a lot about like the older version of things. Well, yeah, because that's the vibe I get. And it's just the filming style, I think, right? Like I think that that's very early days of learning the language of uh, cinematography and filmmaking. And so, of course, things were going to feel like stage plays because that's what the actors were used to. That's what the audiences were used to. Inside of that, those stage productions, very often those things feel rushed because, you know, you're limited as far as sets go. And so you have characters coming in and out because you want to keep the energy going. And so I loved the patience of the Kira Knightley version because exactly what you're saying, it gave us more of an insight as to what their relationship could look like and how they both acknowledged this love that had been kind of festering for so long. And it made me appreciate the love story in a very different way. What do you think of Mr. Darcy? See, here's the interesting thing. I found a lot of parallels between this and Emma. Yeah. We both loved Emma. That's true. But Elizabeth, to me, is what Emma would have been if she'd not been filthy rich. Because there was an arrogance that came to Emma because of her wealth and her status that Elizabeth doesn't have. And Elizabeth seems to earn more respect from people because of that. Yes. Like, even when she's in the company of those horrible, horribly rich people, like, basically the one person who's horrible. I mean, Mr. Darcy isn't amazing. He's got prejudice as well. But I I genuinely think that she earns and commands a room just by being the smartest person in the room. Exactly what you just said is the thing that reminded me of Little Women about this story as well. Yes. There was a lot of parallels between Emma and Little Women and Pride and Prejudice in my brain while I was watching this story, and it made me appreciate it more 
the main character in Emma needed to be stripped back. She needed to find like some humility and appreciate her status in a different way. And so that love story was really about her learning and growing. And I felt like Pride and Prejudice was about them learning and growing together, which made it more impactful as a love story for me. I don't know how you feel about that. As a love story, it was... I, look, I don't know if it's because the whole film is a love story or not that you're rooting for people versus the romantic comedies of today, which sort of revolve around other things that matter to relationships. Getting together at the end is not the goal of the movie, but that seems to be the goal of these movies. I mean, I genuinely like enjoyed the back and forth banter. Probably not as much as I enjoyed the back and forth with Emma. Yeah, Emma was funnier for sure. Emma's definitely funnier, but the... But the 2005 Pride and Prejudice was also very funny and they had a gaggle of people who were super likable. The smiles made me smile. You know when you're that wrapped up in a movie where when someone's so happy, you just instantly become giddy for them? Yes. I found I was doing that a lot in 2005 where in the 1940 version, I had the same experience I had with Emma where I was waiting for Lizzie to like put down Mr. Darcy and be like, suck it, Darcy. Like I had that same feeling where in the 2005 version, I didn't really have that. Now I had just grown to like Mr. Darcy because of his generosity and how he turned around. But at the beginning, Mr. Darcy sucks. Yeah, he's an a-hole. I don't know why anybody wants Mr. Darcy (laughs) besides money. That's the thing that I think they got across better in the 2005 version. I think we learned about that character that he it's less that he's an a-hole and more that maybe he's just got some really severe social anxiety. He doesn't seem to conduct himself well in those kinds of pressure situations where it's like he feels that he needs to be impressive. And so he kind of like overshoots that in a weird way because he's not great at it. And there's that great moment where Kira Knightley calls him out on it where he's like, well, I'm not good at talking to people that I don't know. And she just sort of throws it back at his face like, well, maybe you should practice. Exactly. (laughs) And I thought that that was a great moment that didn't exist in the 40s version. You're right. And so it gave us insight onto Mr. Darcy that I think we didn't get in the 40s version. But you're right. I think that I had built in love for him because I'd already seen the 40s version. So when the 2005 version, when I hit play on that, I already had some built in love for these characters and their growth. And so I really appreciated that they gave me more context for that. The context that I received by watching the film in the 2005 version also was really good. In the 1940s version, I had no idea why they were shunned from society because Lydia had gone to London on her own. I was like, wait, what? What? Hold on. Why is the whole family now like ruined? It didn't feel clear in the 40s version that they weren't rich. Also, yes. And I think that was the disconnect. They were so shunned by society And the whole time I'm like, yeah, but they're in this like big fancy house and they've got like maids and servants like everybody else. And like the financial disparities between families were so much more clear in the Kira Knightley version because we get this, sure, big house, farm, right? But you can tell it's a little bit run down. They don't have all the same fancy things everyone else does. And then as as you start to layer in the different families and finally you end up at Lady Catherine's, which is just so over the top. Like, it really made that disparity so much more clear. And the 40s version, I think, whiffed on that a little bit. I I think you're right. I, You know, 
I really liked Mr. Darcy's pants. His pants? I really liked his pants. I kept on going, damn, man, like I want those pants because there was not like a line in those pants at all. They were perfect. Maybe when you're that rich, your pants just are like perfect because it was perfectly hemmed. They look so comfortable. And I was just sitting there going, damn, those are great pants. And that is something that did not transfer into the 2005 version. <laughs> Can we please talk about the wardrobe differences? Oh, my God. It's like everybody was poor, even though no one was poor, in the 2005 version. It just, everything looked a little shabbier. I felt like it was more period accurate that everything was a little shabbier. It very well could have been. And that goes back to you talking about how it looked like a play. Those were definitely costumes in 1940s and maybe not accurate of the time, but it was fun to look at versus the, the, the accurate wardrobe of the 2005 version that everything just looked like it had really been worn in. There's a real visual difference between the two movies, more than just like the black and white versus color. Like they're both shot beautifully. And then that reminded me of Emma as well, because the new version of Emma, I think is not as good a retelling of the story. And I think the acting isn't quite where it needs to be. It's stunning to look at. And then you compare it to the original with Gwyneth Paltrow, the camera movement was much less interesting and the framing was much less interesting, but it was still really good looking. And I found the same thing with these two movies. I don't know. I love that we're watching these old black and white films and I love that they hold up. I love that the cinematography is still really rich and there's, I don't know, we've talked about this before. I love black and white. I love black and white photography. I think it adds a ton of texture to things and it adds drama if you light it properly. And there's something about black and white that I just love deep in my soul. <laughs> um, but the, the newer Pride and Prejudice was filmed in such a great way. Like it was lit interesting. The camera movements were great. Like it, it felt wonderful to watch. And it definitely captured more of a, of a setting the 2005 version. They spent a lot of time outside where you could tell the 1940s spent a lot of time on sets. Not to say that the 2005 version didn't have their own set of sets. There's a an interesting moment in it where she's standing on a cliff and I couldn't tell if that's a real thing or did they find that rock or is that a, a green screen? Because the very next scene, she's in the woods with two people that I must have missed something. She is in the woods before she goes to Mr. Darcy's uh, in the 2005 version. And there's two people there. I'm like, who are those two people? Like, was one of, was that her uncle or something? Like, who were those people? Oh, yeah, that was her aunt and uncle. Her aunt and uncle. Okay. Because I, I, I must have missed the actual dialogue of like, I'm going with uncle, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that wasn't, they kind of, they kind of like rode over. The, there was that scene in her kitchen where she was like talking about like how crappy men are. They had just like in passing said, oh, your aunt and uncle are here. And then she went into that kitchen and there they were. And that was kind of how they were introduced. It, it wasn't as smooth as the rest of the movie for sure. They like really chopped through a bunch of time there. Well, so they're in the woods together against this tree that looks magnificent. But I also am like, is that a tree that even looks real? So I don't know if they were on a set or they built something or they found like, it definitely gets you more into a realistic wooded countryside than the 1940s did. The, the world felt very lived in in that movie. And the other interesting decision to let the uncle pay for all of the stuff 
that happened with Lydia to make sure that they got a wedding and paid all that money instead of Darcy paying. Yeah, that that I'm not sure was super clear. Or was that or was that a misdirect and they told everyone it was the uncle but really, it was Mr. Darcy. Well, because they were very clear about that misdirect in the 40s version. Yes. And so my gut feeling is that that was meant to be a misdirect in the 2005 version as well, but that they weren't quite as clear on it. Because there is a moment where Jenna Malone's Lydia kind of goes, oh, and Mr. Darcy. Oh, I wasn't supposed to say that. And I'm like, okay, now tell us. But she doesn't tell you. And I'm like, uh, okay. All right. <laughs> Dude, didn't they do such a good job in the 2005 version with those two younger daughters just being like obnoxious train wrecks? Like they were just constantly running around drunk. They were constantly like into stuff. There was just enough of them causing chaos that they made so much more sense in the larger plot. Whereas in the original one, they were they were just background characters. That's where I really found the parallel between Pride and Prejudice and Little Women because it felt more like a cohesive family. I think you're right because the casting that they did on the Bennets, specifically the Bennets, was beautiful. You have Kira Knightley as Elizabeth. You have Rosamund Pike as Jane. Jenna Malone as Lydia. Carrie Mulligan as Kitty, who is just all over the place manic, basically, all the time. And then you have Donald Sutherland as Mr. Bennett and Brenda Blethyn as Mrs. Bennett. And I can't remember who played Mary... She was an unknown to me, but it doesn't matter because those are like the cores. I mean, Donald Sutherland is this really amazing father and Brenda as Brenda Blethyn as this, the mother in both films is supposed to be terrible and pretty much is just terrible, but she understands how important it is. Women aren't allowed to work. They're not allowed to make money. You need to have financial security, especially when you're living in the middle of goddamn nowhere. So it totally does make sense. And it also, on the flip side of things, the women hold more power than they than you think they do, especially Elizabeth. Like Lizzie has all the power in this film. She's able to turn down her cousin. Her father totally backs her play. She turns down Mr. Darcy and then gets Mr. Darcy again. And then at the end, when you think like, Oh, it's going to be one of these prim and proper things. She has all the power because she's got Darcy wrapped around her finger. It's it's actually very nice to see that even though it's so dependent on who you marry. Like if you didn't marry and you were a woman, I think you'd be, you would die very young. They did a really good job in this story in both versions of showing the importance of marrying off all of the daughters. That was such a massive priority for that family to make sure that they met eligible bachelors and were married to the point where when Jenna Malone comes back and is very clearly with just an a-hole. Oh, the worst. N- nobody cares. <laughs> like They're just, she just needed to be married, right? And I, the 40s version did a really good job of that with uh, the character who ends up being Mrs. Collins. She, her and Elizabeth have a conversation where she's like, well, it's good to not know his faults because, you know, I'm going to have to be married to him. I'd rather not know. That's not what this is. This is about security. It's not about love. It's not about being with somebody that you, that you want to be with. Yes. It's fine if I don't know his faults. And what a revealing 
sentence that was that little interaction was so interesting and it's one that really didn't exist more than in subtleties in the newer version there were a few things that were clearer in the newer version and there was a couple things that were just telegraphed in the 40s version they were just done via dialogue instead of showing us um and i appreciated it in in different ways in both movies but it really was clear that that was the priority was just to get them somewhere that was going to take care of them uh, financially and the rest of it didn't really matter yes well except that lizzie was not gonna marry her cousin and her father was okay with that in fact her father said if you do i'll never speak to you again yeah and that's why i think that scene at the end where the two of them have a discussion when she gets engaged to mr darcy was so important to that story because we really got the sense in the Kira Knightley version that he respects her in a way that he doesn't respect anyone else in his house, anyone else in his family. He thinks of her in a very different light as being somebody who can control her own fate and that he wants better for her than that status quo which sweetened their relationship because there's also that scene where, you know, uh, earlier in the film where she's like, don't send the two uh, youngest ones away. They're just going to like party in Flander and it's going to be crappy and they're already crappy. Like, why would you <laughs> send them off to do that? And he's like, well, it's not like they're going to get worse. And if they do, then better they're not here. Like he just had so little respect for those two because they were just so silly and they didn't seem to want anything concrete in life. Whereas Elizabeth did. And I think he respected her in a very different way because of that. And I'm glad we got that scene between the two of them because it was so visceral. Now that you get married, though, like as a woman in this world, you get married, I'm assuming you instantly have some children and then you raise those kids. Other than that, what did you, what is an accomplished woman? Like there was a conversation in both of these films about being an accomplished woman. And it was like, well, it means that you can sing and you can draw and you can like, no music. And I'm like, this is boring as hell. If you like get to be a woman, because none of that shit actually could matter to you as a person. And you're not accomplished because you didn't take interest in learning an instrument. Wasn't that the interesting part of Lady Catherine to this story though, because she talks that big game, but she respects Elizabeth because she fights against it. I loved and, and I thought that was way better illustrated in the 1940s version. I totally agreed. It was so much more subtle. In the, I loved that interaction where Lady Catherine leaves the Bennett's house and talks to Mr. Darcy. That was awesome. I missed that interaction in the newer version. I missed it because that was such a brilliant scene. We never get that moment where Catherine gets to say like, well, I love her. I love her despite all that. Like, We just had this row, and I love her for it. You do not get that. You just never see Dame Judy again. And interesting, I had no idea of the cast going into this movie except Keira Knightley. I actually thought Colin Firth was Mr. Darcy, but whatever. (laughs) In the long pan reveal to Catherine, I was like, and reveal Judy Dench. And boom, Judy Dench is revealed. Because like, In my brain, I was like, there's no other English actress 
that they'll pick. She was brilliant casting because she's so severe and so judgmental. She was just withering in some moments. It was wonderful. I don't know, man. There's something about the dialogue in these movies that I love. That that polite viciousness, it just makes me happy. I don't, I don't that, know everything's so biting. Oh, it's great. And the award for the greatest, and I'm putting it out there, the greatest backhand compliment ever is Mr. Darcy's proposal. Yes. Oh, my God. Just a litany of, well, your birthright and I'm above you and your station in life. And all I've done is fight with my family about this and how... I've tried to ignore it, but the fact is, even though I've tried, I love you. So marry me. And it was like, go to hell. Oh, my God. <laughs> it really was. You suck. Your family sucks. Your whole upbringing sucks. I really, really wish that I couldn't love you. You are lower than me. Yeah. I. Oh, man. I, I am going to have to lower myself and my standards and my family's going to hate me for doing this, but I can't help myself. It's like, holy shit, dude. Back up. Like, <laughs> walk away now. It was so clear that he has no idea about how to conduct himself with anyone. I rewound and watched that scene three times. The acting was so good. The dialogue was so rich. The way that they set it with the rain and the thunder and like, you could tell that they love each other, but they refused to back down on any of their principles. It was such a brilliant scene. Because they're both filled with pride and filled with prejudice in their own way. And they have to get out of that. They got to let go of all that shit just to be together. It's really cool. So I don't know why I couldn't bite the bullet and just hit play when I rented it, but it's been sitting there and I'm like, I'm going to hit play. I'm going to watch this sometime. (laughs) And I ended up watching it. The first thing I woke up this morning, <laughs> I was like, I watched, I watched one right before work. And then we were let out early and I watched the second, <laughs> but I was like, shit. What, what what was the problem, man? Like, this was great. I know. This story's great. This is the first time that I have actually truly enjoyed watching a story twice. And I think it's the first time where I loved the original and then I really, really loved the remake. Yeah, this is definitely one of the times where I've loved both equally, if not a little bit more the original. And for different reasons sometimes. There were subtle changes between the two that I really enjoyed as well. Like Mr. Bingley is like awkward in the in the Kira Knightley version. He's like a little bit bumbling and he's like tripping on, on himself in front of Jane. And it was so charming and cute. And I really enjoyed that that was a difference between how that character was played in the 40s version. But then I also loved his sister in the newer version because she was like so much more severe. Like you could just tell there was just ice in her veins and ice in her heart. And she just was so superior. And that actress, who played her was brilliant casting because she just sucks and it made me love her. I, I, I'm looking through our list and I'm just trying to see if there's been any film, any film at all that we've gone through where we've felt this way about both of them. I mean, if we had done back-to-back Emma, we may have had similar responses. I don't know if you've seen the newer one and the newer one was not as good as the Gwyneth Paltrow one. But it was still really, like, I really enjoyed it. But we didn't watch those two movies back-to-back for an episode. We only watched the original. I think the closest we may have come is this shop around the corner. (sighs) Yeah. Uh, Looking through, I think, 
Because we started this with Fright Night. I think I like these better than Fright Night. I know you did. But I think the only one where we both were like, yeah, they're both good. And they're both good in their own ways. And th- and things are better in one and things are better in the other. And I think it is the shop around the corner and you've got mail. Which, which only leads us to believe that like all the stuff that us guys think about these kind of movies is wrong. It's fun. It's actually really fun. My most favorite movies that we have watched this year have been Emma and 310 to Yuma. 310 to Yuma. I think we liked both of those too, didn't we? Yeah, but not. But we liked one way, way better. Oh, yeah, way more. Yes, for sure. These were like close together both like. 100%, yeah. So, yeah, it's so interesting to me that the two movies or the two stories that I look back on in this year of watching movies for this podcast that I've loved most, and they've both been Jane Austen. It's Emma and uh, Pride and Prejudice. Well, we're going to have to stick with this because I know we're doing this format for a while, and I've got a couple others that fit this kind of uh, period romance that we can throw on the list that I'll talk to you about after. But but do you have any idea what we're doing next? (laughs) No, I don't think we've planned past this point because I think we were still like uh, hoping that COVID would have calmed down and theaters might be opening back up again. But it looks like it looks like we're going in the opposite direction. So (laughs) So let's pick something really fun to light our spirits. We've only got a few more episodes left until uh, the end of the year. So let's let's pack them full of like good, fun, interesting stuff. If you went along for the ride of Pride and Prejudice, why don't you reach out and tell us what you thought and. If you uh, if you didn't like it, we'd love to know because I don't think anybody on the planet is watching this not like rooting for Elizabeth Bennett. Next time on We Saw a Thing. Our next episode falls on October 29th. So we've decided to watch Dracula for Halloween. If you're following along and want to watch them beforehand, we'll be doing the one from 1931 and Bram Stoker's Dracula from 1992. We'll see you in two weeks. We Saw a Thing is hosted by Jay Kennedy and Chris Shapcott. Produced by Shapcuts Media. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and check our show notes for links to our social media and credits. And leave a review on Apple Podcasts.